1: Welcome, welcome, welcome. I hope you have all had a wonderful Thanksgiving weekend and are open to the holiday season that is upon us. As we move through the season, we see more and more things that are taking place on our planet. We have had an abundance of hurricanes and earthquakes and all kinds of activity when it comes to the climate. And it has to sometimes make us take pause and wonder what the heck is going on. Is all of this suffering supposed to happen? And do we actually play a role in it? My guest today is someone that is well-versed, not only with climate and climate change, but she has been out there in the midst of death-defying and life-affirming journeys (laughs) upon the ocean. And she is someone who has become a truly passionate advocate about informing individuals, not only on the physical and ecological effects of what climate change is doing, but also delving into the spiritual aspects and many of the other areas that we might not Think About. Spiritual ecologist Heather Lynn Mann is a practitioner of Buddhism, Sailing, and Mindful Advocacy. After earning a master's in environmental science from University of Wisconsin's Nelson Institute, she founded and led the Not-for-Profit Center of Resilient Cities, an organization mobilizing inner city residents to restore natural beauty and function in damaged neighborhood landscapes. In 2007, together with her husband and cat Mann, set on sale For a six-year, 15,000 nautical mile ocean voyage, Ocean of Insight, A Sailor's Voyage from Despair to Hope, is man's death-defying and life-affirming memoir from her time on the open ocean. Back on land in 2014, Heather co-founded and led the International Plum Village Earth Holder Sangha, a mindfulness community working to awaken our great togetherness with the earth. Today, in her home community of Charleston, South Carolina, Heather Lynn Mann is helping launch Higher Ground, a collaborative of spiritual and thought leaders, scientists, artists, and others rising to meet our environmental crisis. She is the author, again, of the book. Ocean of Insight, A Sailor's Voyage from Despair to Hope. You can find out more about her at her website, which is Heather Lynn Mann, H-E-A-T-H-E-R-L-Y-N-M-A-N-N.com. Welcome, Heather, to 1111 Talk Radio.
2: Well, thank you so much, Simran. I'm happy to be here.
1: (laughs) I'm excited to have this conversation on a, a, a variety of levels, because as I move through your book, it wasn't just... Uh, awakening us to climate change and our effects on the world and how we are either apathetic or indifferent or in denial oftentimes of this situation, but also how we can really become more present to it both internally as well as externally. What really got you to the place where you saw the full spectrum of this, not just from the outward uh, ways that we are affecting the the climate change, but also the internal effects, both upon us and the internal effects that we're having upon the planet.
2: Well, I have to say that I heard about the climate uh, challenge back when I was in school in Wisconsin, and that was back in the early 90s. And I had the thought, gee, I hope somebody does something about that. And then I went into my own studies of land resources and focusing on conservation efforts. And over the years, I just kept noticing that nothing was happening. People weren't really talking about it. I wasn't I wasn't seeing anyone get any momentum in dealing with this issue. And I started to notice in my own heart and mind that I was having a hard time really being present with this incredible threat. I mean, it's an existential crisis for humanity. And unlike anything we've experienced as a species before, the fact that we're annihilating not only um all the other creatures on planet, but we're also really doing tremendous harm to ourself and, and our children's future. And so, you know, I, I think one of the things that I approached this book with was the notion that Many of us already understand that this is happening, and we're still immobilized. We're still not um, rising up to the challenge in our own lifestyles and our our own actions. And so, what is that about? And that was really um, something that was um, uh, troubling me. And so, I I went to see, um, and you know, when you when you have the opportunity to do something as incredible as, as stepping away from a lifetime of um, work and, and going to see with your, your spouse for a period of years, um, you, you start to wonder, well, you know, is this, is this all right to do, you know, morally and ethically because there's so much work to be done? But I decided I'd take with me a question, and that question is really, how am I to be in a suffering world? What am I to do? And that really is the question that this book helps to answer for all of those who already know that we're in trouble and um, that are wondering how to bring their full heart and um, creative energy to this incredible challenge and opportunity.
1: With the Buddhist background, of course, Buddha said life is suffering. And that is, uh, I'm, I'm assuming, part of the reason that that instilled that question more so in your mind. I know that in my own journey of getting on the road in a, a 200 square foot space with five other people and traveling, so many things will come up, and it ends up being a really spiritual journey. You were on this boat with with 47 square feet and others, and mm-hmm. so of course it's going to be quite the spiritual journey along with the natural forces of nature that we're going to be great teachers when it comes to things, you start off the book with one line that I think is very profound in the context of of the wind blowing. And you you stated, wishful thinking is my problem. And right now, I think that's a huge problem for a lot of people. We all are wishing something will happen. We're all wishing certain things would go away. We're all wishing this was a dream that we would wake up from. But wishful thinking is not going to get us
2: anywhere. Hmm, and it, I think it even in my experience, particularly in these last few weeks since Hurricane Irma um, in in the Charleston area was the third major storm in three years to just submerge the city. Um, I think what I'm seeing is not only wishful thinking that you know somebody should do something, but um, anger, real and- anger that our government hasn't already fixed this problem. And one of the things that I'm acutely aware of is that this is on a scale that is so profound that we can't expect any one group to take care of this. Our government leaders need our support. Our business community needs our support. We need to do what, you know, Gandhi and Martin Luther King Jr. have said. We need to really go through a process of self-purification and really rise up to the challenge in our own lifestyles. And so, you know, finger-pointing and just sitting at the sidelines, it's not going to cut it. And this This book is about a sailor's voyage from despair to hope, and that subtitle comes actually from um, one of my great teachers, who is Joanna Macy. She talks about active hope, and there's passive hope, which so many of us have when we're sitting at home just wishing for things to be different, but that doesn't do anything. And she describes active hope as really the process of monitoring reality, really Paying attention to what's going on and then getting super clear about the world you want to manifest. And then the third step is doing the simple thing that is in front of you to do. And the bottom line is that if all of us could tune in and pay attention and get very clear about the future that we would like to have, the world we want to manifest, and then take care of the world that we can touch, then the world would transform in an instant
1: In the book, you talk about climate change landing in your body, and I'm Mm -hmm. assuming that the landing in your body is really what brought it even to a greater awareness where you wanted to seek out more of a perspective of active hope as opposed to passive hope. For listeners out there that are numb or that are disconnected from their body or that this has not landed yet, what would you say to them and how do we allow whatever cause uh, feels on the surface of our fingertips and on the tip of our tongue to become more landed in our bodies.
2: That's really such an excellent question. Um, And I woke up to this really on a particular night at sea when I was deeply afraid. And it was really my first experience of being deeply afraid while I was sailing. And I remembered in the midst of this uh, comment that the boat broker who helped us buy the boat um, said, he said, uh, after we saw him a few years later, he said, have you scared yourself yet? And my husband and I said, well, no, we've gotten into some trouble, but we've gotten them out of it again. It's, you know, we're, we're doing well. And he goes, well, if you haven't been truly afraid, you haven't truly been sailing yet. Oh. And that. Just in that moment of reflection then about the condition that we're in on the planet, if we haven't really been truly afraid for ourselves and for a healthy planetary continuation, then we haven't really understood what's at stake yet. And so part of that process for me was really sitting with my own fear and watching how I want to push it away, how uncomfortable it is, and just allowing that space um, to to sit with it and to feel in my body what that feels like and to watch my mind try to try to justify or explain away or deny what's going on. And you know I say this with great compassion because as an environmental scientist, I've been dealing with this for decades and it is something though that each of us has to find our way towards sort of leaning into with curiosity what it this challenge is and what it means to us but the the important thing was that in that moment in sailing and then in this this reckoning with this climate challenge is that we can't just stop with the fear we have to actually move through it to a point of action and behave in a way that's fearless even in the company of our fear and that is possible that that is something that that we have yet to explore as a society is what is on the other side of our our fear and i do believe that that's why so many people are denying that this is happening denying that people have anything to do with it because if you really look at the causes and conditions of this climate crisis you know this has been brought on by our own actions we're all culpable so sometimes that brings up guilt sometimes that brings up anger and you know all these strong emotions but that's not where we get to stop we get to go all right you know these are the strong emotions i'm having and what's beyond it on the other side and we can then begin to water the seeds of our compassion and our True loving kindness that we have for each other and future generations, and species who don't have a voice, and begin to really serve those entities um, as as part of the equation of what's happening in this moment.
1: Heather Lynn Mann left on a voyage with one primary inquiry: How am I to live in a suffering world? From her book. Ocean of Insight, I'd like to read a short passage. I suspect many of us in the climate movement have either dipped into the data in an analytical or emotionally distanced way, or jumped in headlong and started reacting like inexperienced horse trainers banging pots and pans to frighten the herd into cooperation. By making ever-increasing amounts of noise and focusing on apocalyptic projections, we have sent a lot of folks running to the hills in denial. Of those who remain, some are in the heated lather of panic and others are nearly catatonic, completely overwhelmed. A few precious are operating somewhere in between, calmly, clear-headed, and with the skill in the midst of strong emotions resonating in their bodies. I wonder what would happen if each of us coexisted with the uncomfortable fear, anger, heartbreak, and guilt reverberating in our bones and chose to behave in ways that are composed, plain-spoken, and compassionate? What if the climate concerned were like horse whisperers who modeled the fearlessness and wise action they wished others would adopt? Again, this is from Heather Lynn Mann's book, Ocean of Insight. You can find out more about her at heatherlynnmann.com, and you can also find out about different events and teachings, along with how to contact her and read her blog if you'll go to heatherlandman.com we'll be right back after these messages
0: it's your world motivate change succeed voiceamericaempowerment.com have you seen 1111 Do you wonder why certain numbers keep showing up in your life? 11, 111, 22, 33, 444. People all over the world are seeing 1111 and learning the language of universal communication. Subscribe to 1111 Magazine today 1111Mag.com. 1111 Magazine is a bi monthly online publication that offers a rich multi sensory experience. Engage with experts and topics of consciousness, become enlightened, empowered, and energized, so you live a passionate and authentic life of conscious choices. 1111 magazine, a daily staple for lifting the mindset, expanding the heart, and experiencing greater aliveness. 1111 magazine. Order now at www1111 1111mag.com. Do you want
3: more out of life? Tired of settling in relationships, your career, health, or finances? Want to experience greater aliveness? I am Simran. I support people in listening to their conversations with the universe, the guiding signs, symbols, and synchronicity. I mentor people to anchor in trust, love, and confidence, to live their heart's desires. Let me guide you in embracing the challenges and the obstacles so you embody and integrate the gifts they bring. No more human doing. You are here for being, bounteously and abundantly. Experience your soul's natural rhythm, your powerful essence. Don't shrink back any longer. Release the struggle. Learn how to let go. Create in different dimensions. Transform separateness, grief, anxiety, anger, and chaos into living your destiny. Connect with me at IamSimran.com. Live more freely, spontaneously, and joyfully don't conform, live a life of courage. Let's start now. Through my online courses, mentoring programs, or one-on-one coaching, it's time to change your world. Connect at IamSymron.com. Are you an artist, healer, teacher, author, speaker, or coach, a wellness or holistic practitioner or energy worker? Maybe you want to be. Do you desire to serve the world, share your gifts, live your dreams? I'm Simran, host of 1111 Talk Radio, and I invite you to the vision of oneness. Could you use a community of support, more financial flow with less effort? Would you like to receive so you have more to give? Be a world changer, world server, do-gooder. Be a new paradigm thinker and a conscious change agent. A part of a growing community creating collective streams of prosperity and wellness. By simply serving yourself, you serve others. Feel great. Have more energy. Sleep better. Gently detox. Lose unhealthy weight and build strength. It's time for more freedom and financial flow. The Vision of Oneness embodies unconditional giving, commitment, simplicity, and receiving. We are a collective new way of being in commerce and creative cash flow. Learn more at thevisionofoneness.com. Register now and a member will help you begin today visionofoneness.com
0: Follow us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment You are listening to 1111 Talk Radio Simron is an award-winning author publisher of 1111 Magazine powerful speaker of wisdom and a life mentor Find out more at imsimron.com. Now, back to 1111 Talk Radio.
1: I'd like to mention that the brand new issue of 1111 Magazine is out. Definitely partake of it. It is a free magazine that is available digitally, and it shares individuals all over the planet that are doing amazing work, sharing their light and expressing their wisdom. You can access all issues at 1111mag.com and click right through to get in touch with any of these individuals if they spark something inside of you. If you are someone that is too busy and you need to now grow on the go, I have an option that is 11.11 on audio. It is a way that you can stay in touch, have a practice, and continue your own personal growth while being exposed to many of the different teachers, change agents, and leaders across the globe. So check out Grow on the Go, 11.11 on audio, and start taking that busy time and making something productive and still out of it. I am with Heather Lynn Mann today, and we are talking about her book, Ocean of Insight, a voyage that taught her a great deal, not only about what it was like to live on the ocean, but also to answer the question of suffering in this world. From the book, advocating for ecological and social well-being is frustrating, stressful, and only occasionally successful work. No doubt advocates working in South Florida ask themselves the question I hold in my heart, how am I to live in a suffering world? Heather, when I read this section of the book and you talked about the scientists' warnings of the carbon dioxide release and the different things that were going to happen and how Florida's wetlands were going to be covered by water, I know you were talking about the ocean rising, but it could not – I couldn't help but think about the hurricanes and all the flooding and all of that as well. And it was almost as if this little portion was predicting what was coming, and it came very, very quickly – and had people running up towards, as you stated in the book, Tampa and higher ground, and from Miami to Tampa all the way up to higher ground. Talk a little bit about what you feel like these, these different things that are starting to take place in such frequency are really attempting to get us to do when it comes to living a more balanced life uh, as you go into the middle way in that section of the book.
2: Mm. Well, we are certainly getting a wake-up call this season um, with uh, uh, Hurricane Irma, Maria, and Harvey. And um, I, you know, I didn't really want to be right about what was going to be happening to Florida, um, and I didn't expect to see such inundation um, happening as you say so soon. But the fact is that. Um, we have to understand the land on which we are investing our, um, our infrastructure. And that land is also owned by the ocean. There is a great indecision in South Florida um, by the cosmos, is this land or is this water? And despite all of the engineering that we've had since going way, way back to the time when my grandparents moved and retired down to Fort Lauderdale, um, despite all of that, We are only um, temporary tenants in that particular landscape. And what this means is that we're going to have tremendous migration issues happening in the coming decades. And we're going to what's called climate refugees, where people are needing to leave their communities and relocate elsewhere. There is one um, community down in Louisiana who recently uh, received a federal grant to relocate uh, lock, stock and barrel. And these are old communities that have uh, native American roots and they haven't always gotten along these, these two different um, arms of this uh, one particular setting. And so they've tried on numerous times to like relocate together, but they've had, you know, interpersonal disagreements. Well, The federal government is supporting a relocation now to help them find a new community. But the thing that I just get sort of tripped up on is that the funding is so great that it's providing resources that are ending up to be $800,000 per person Mm. for this community to find a new home. And as I say in the book, this is like winning the climate change jackpot because we are not going to be able to do that for other coastal cities. And we have this this reality that's happening up and down the eastern seaboard and all throughout Florida and then all through the Gulf region where people are going to be needing to relocate, whether it's because of the hurricanes that are wiping out the communities eventually or because of rising sea level. And that's just the United States. You know when we look at what's happening with coastal communities around the world, um the the amount of climate migration, the climate refugees that we're going to be seeing, will be tremendously destabilizing, not only to our economy, but to our our military um, um, solidity, our, our 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 peace within the world. So, you know, this is one of those things that to me is a great inspiration to see what we can do now to have less disruption later. And when I when I get involved in some of these conversations, people are very excited that we are adapting to change. That we are, you know, in our, my own coastal community of Charleston, we're we're building pumps, and we're we're doing these things down in in Miami. They're raising their roads, and you know, so that might work for a little while. But unless we're actually stopping the harm that we're causing today. And this is the great work of the Paris Climate Agreement, that they agreed that they would stop the, um, cut the emissions that they're releasing, the carbon emissions into the atmosphere by 26 to 28% in a, a very limited time period. That is the kind of work that really needs to be done so that there's less of a crisis later and less of this climate refugee issue later that needs to be addressed.
1: From the book, you write, our globally connected economies and cultures magnify the effects of the three poisons. And later on, you say, for example, I didn't realize as I sailed the Atlantic how harmful my greedy craving for meat was to the planet especially my consumption of beef and dairy. But eventually I learned that animal agriculture is a leading producer of greenhouse gases, both CO2 and methane. A main cause of the planet's warming is that animal agriculture is expanding to feed society's collective demand. So on an individual level, there are a lot of things that we can do. What did you mean by the three poisons?
2: Well, we have greed, Anger and delusion that um, uh, really contaminate our thinking. The greed is our our wanting, and and for me, this is you know a wake up call about my wanting for meat, and that that truly is unsustainable for um, the global population to all behave as I have been behaving. And so, that is something that I think I have an ethical responsibility to actually live in a way that I'm a model for a sustainable future. Um, our own anger is um, being triggered, and by the, the blame and the finger pointing and the, the um, fault finding and the enemy making that we're we're invested in, um, not only as as a society and as a nation, but now neighbor to neighbor, it's it's really becoming quite toxic. And then this notion of delusion that we can actually live outside of natural law, that we are not somehow deeply interconnected with the um, the forces of nature, that somehow we're superior to that and that we can control that. And these poisons are really um, creating a, a, a mindset in our society that is very um is feeding our hubris as a species that we can really do whatever we want and we have this this liberty without responsibility and that somehow that is going to carry us forward into the future well unfortunately nature is going to have the final say and it's not going to be pleasant
1: As you move through the book, as a reader does, they will find many different meditations that you've come up with to move through different areas, and you also have reflections on various things such as skill and happiness and permanence, mindfulness, ethics, time, and power, and you you move through this beautifully because you give us the story of what it was like for you on the ocean, on the boat, and the the different ways you got insights plus just the day-to-day experiences. But through that, you encompass what the reflections on these various things are. I particularly liked where you wrote um, in regard to this inquiry, How Am I to Live in a Suffering World? You received one answer, and that was prepare in advance not just for the technological, economic, or political challenge, but also for the spiritual challenge that lies ahead. The idea is simple, but that lesson applied to the reality of climate change Let's loose a cascade of additional uncertainties. Talk about that spiritual challenge that comes into effect beyond even the others.
2: Mm. Well, you know i I am very aware that the reason why we are in this position today is not just because of our economic and political um, energies but the fact that we are in a spiritual crisis as a society and as individuals. And there there really is no separation between um, what is going on in our hearts and minds and what is going on in our environment. They're all interconnected. So, what we're inheriting now, this tremendous challenge that took um, eons in the making, um, is really th- th- our karma, our collective karma and I don't mean that as something mystic, but I mean that as something very practical, that there was has been a long uh, chain of decisions that have brought humankind to this point. So, it makes no sense to start finger-pointing. I mean, we, we have inherited this tremendous challenge. And so, to remedy this, it's not just that we can... Um, create some policies because you actually can't fully regulate an ethical lifestyle. You you can you can encourage people not to kill. But, you know, there are so many ways that people can take and destroy another person's life that is beyond what the the boundaries of our law can do. And we're seeing that now with the, all of the subtle forms of racism and hatred and, and prejudice and discrimination of people who are looking to come into our country. I mean, the, the notion of, of our immigration policy, all of this is deeply rooted in a society now that has, had, has no tolerance and no compassion for others. And our lack of compassion for other people is also reflected in our lack of compassion for the landscape and for natural systems. So, all of this is connected and it is so far beyond what our laws can control. It is beyond what our economics can manage or certainly capitalism can can bring to manifest. So, this is a spiritual time of reckoning where we need to really... Um, invite ourselves and encourage ourselves to break through, to see our great togetherness and that we are not, um, it is not possible for us to be individually happy because of our connectedness. We need to be collectively happy and safe and I think that is really the, the opportunity of this moment. To embrace our spiritual um, togetherness in ways that we have not seen previously.
1: There's a beautiful part in the reflections on happiness where you state the invitation in front of us is to get happy, to get happy like it's our job. Earth needs humankind to be happy and satisfied in order for the hidden hedonic cycle of destruction to stop. When we look, nature is teaching us we do not have to wait to be happy. We can witness the beauty and comfort of the natural world, the way our lives are cradled by the whole, and we can cultivate a gladness for life in ways that do not harm others. Nature shows us the way, the lotus blossoms in the mud, tomatoes feed upon rotting compost, Climate change itself is the opportunity for transformation. The sickness can be the medicine. That's very, very powerful. And right now, as we are facing these different issues that you're talking about, I think about my own philosophy in my book, Conversations with the Universe, is that the world is speaking to us and it is showing us exactly who we are and that we have to take that personal responsibility that every action that is going on outside of us is stemming from the beliefs and the thoughts and the inherent uh, pieces that have been suppressed within us. Do you feel like climate change is not only the result of our actions and the way that we're treating the planet, but it is also a result of who we have become?
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. Absolutely, and I'm glad that you read that excerpt on happiness because we started, uh, you know, talking about the three poisons and our craving is something that is so insidious in our our everyday life that we shop a little bit too much, we eat a little bit too much, we we gossip a little bit too much, we are trying to search for something to feed uh, a hunger that truly is insatiable. We cannot get enough of what we don't really need. And so we're on this path of consuming all kinds of things, you know, in, in our conversations and in our media and in our, our um, diets that, that are actually killing not only us but the planet. Whereas if we were to get happy, and by that I mean tune in to all the things in the cosmos that are already here all the conditions that are nourishing us and cradling us and keeping us safe and well all of the love that exists in the universe between people and and families and generations that if we can tune into that and practice you know gratitude and wake up to to the the potential of expressing our joy in, in ways that um, really nourish other people, if we can make that the focus of our lives rather than the collection and, and um, uh, assembly of things we don't need, well, then we're actually, it's not a hard step to live softly on the planet, to let go of the high consumerism that we've been accustomed to. And to really, you know, ask ourselves, do I need that? And what can I do to help? And how can I be a part of something larger than myself? You know, those are really watering the seeds of joy. And it, they are embracing the fact that we already have all the conditions that we need to be happy here and now.
1: From Heatherlyn Mann's book, Ocean of Insight. I can't make the genie of global warming go back into the bottle. I have to take responsibility for contributing to it and try to give life to something new. The invitation is for more of us to build up our muscles of spiritual resilience in advance of immediate danger by practicing mindfulness, developing concentration, making the connection between our actions and their consequences, taking responsibility of our own unskillfulness, and looking moment by moment for new and helpful ways of acting. Cultivating a spiritual skill set in advance is the best way I know to prepare for future uncertainties. From experience, I know it can be the difference maker in helping transform in an instant my usual ways when things turn unusual. This is from Heather's book, Ocean of Insight. You can find out more about her at heatherlinman.com. She is someone that loves this precious planet. Environmental advocacy, blue water sailing, and eco-mindfulness teaching permeate her life and writing as expressions of her adoration. Zen master Thich Nhat Hanh, ordained heather in 2006 into his core community of practice the order of interbeing currently she is facilitator of the north american earth holder sangha in the plum village tradition again you can find out more at heatherlinman.com. we'll be right back after these messages
0: people all over the world are seeing 1111 and learning the language of universal communication. Subscribe to 1111 magazine today. 1111mag.com. 1111 magazine is a bi-monthly online publication that offers a rich, multi-sensory experience. Engage with experts in topics of consciousness, become enlightened, empowered, and energized so you live a passionate and authentic life of conscious choices. 1111 Magazine, a daily staple for lifting the mindset, expanding the heart, and experiencing greater aliveness. 1111 Magazine, order now at www.1111mag.com, 1111mag.com.
3: Do you want more out of life? Tired of settling in relationships, your career, health, or finances? Want to experience greater aliveness? I am Simran. I support people in listening to their conversations with the universe, the guiding signs, symbols, and synchronicity. I mentor people to anchor in trust, love, and confidence, to live their heart's desires. Let me guide you in embracing the challenges and the obstacles so you embody and integrate the gifts they bring. No more human doing. You are here for being, bountifully and abundantly. Experience your soul's natural rhythm, your powerful essence. Don't shrink back any longer. Release the struggle. Learn how to let go. Create in different dimensions. Transform separateness, grief, anxiety, anger, and chaos into living your destiny. Connect with me at IamSymarin.com. Live more freely, spontaneously, and joyfully. Don't conform. Live a life of courage. Let's start now. Through my online courses, mentoring programs, or one-on-one coaching, it's time to change your world connect at IamSimran.com Are you an artist, healer, teacher, author, speaker, or coach? A wellness or holistic practitioner or energy worker? Maybe you want to be. Do you desire to serve the world, share your gifts, live your dreams? I'm Simran, host of 1111 Talk Radio, and I invite you to the vision of oneness. Could you use a community of support, more financial flow with less effort, Would you like to receive so you have more to give? Be a world changer, world server, do-gooder. Be a new paradigm thinker and a conscious change agent. A part of a growing community creating collective streams of prosperity and wellness. By simply serving yourself, you serve others. Feel great, have more energy, sleep better, gently detox, lose unhealthy weight, and build strength. It's time For more freedom and financial flow. The Vision of Oneness embodies unconditional giving, commitment, simplicity, and receiving. We are a collective new way of being in commerce and creative cash flow. Learn more at TheVisionOfOneness.com. Register now and a member will help you begin today. VisionOfOneness.com.
0: Follow us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment.
1: I invite you to also take a look at my own books. They are Conversations with the Universe, and it talks about the way the world is actually speaking to you through signs, symbols, and synchronicity. My second book is Your Journey to Enlightenment. This is about stepping out of conformity and into courage, releasing all of the conditioning and returning to the divine innocence of the child, where wonder and curiosity abound. And my third book is Not for the Faint of Heart. It is Your Journey to Love. This is about going into the depths of the shadow, discovering the great love that the shadow has had for us, taking us through every experience of our lives to lead us to the place where we finally become our authentic selves. So definitely check out my own things at IamSimran.com. My guest is... Heather Lynn Mann, and she is a practitioner of Buddhism, Sailing, and Mindful Advocacy. She has written a book called Ocean of Insight, A Sailor's Voyage from Despair to Hope. It does have some beautiful meditations inside, along with uh, an underlying theme that is very Buddhist in nature in terms of the different pieces that you will encounter, from impermanence to mindfulness to the middle way to the many different pieces that follow that path. But it's done in a way that any Religion, tradition, or individual can partake of it and find themselves as you journey through the ocean as well as through your own spiritual beingness. Thich Nhat Hanh says it is best when he observes the middle way, personally consuming less land, energy, material goods, and food as the antidote capable of waking us up and bringing the hungry expansionist view to an end. When we walk the path of the middle way, we naturally remove the poisons of greed, hatred, and delusion from everyday life. The path of the middle way becomes personal when we observe greed, hatred, and delusion at work in our own consciousness. Then we develop the know-how to recognize and diffuse them in society as well. Again, this is from the book Ocean of Insight, and you can find out more at heatherlynman.com. Heather, as you move through the book, you talk about some other points such as uh, compassion, and not just compassion, but fierce compassion. Talk about that. That's quite a a beautiful way of expressing it
2: mm. well, it for me, it started um, when we were sailing one morning off of St Vincent Island, and uh, it was a, a very windless day, and we were going very slowly into a current, and we were stalked by some local fishermen. That um, were behaving oddly and kept coming up near the boat and suddenly we realized that these were not local fishermen but they were pirates and they were behaving in ways that were really quite unnerving circling the boat getting closer pulling away. We were, uh, at that point, uh, very aware that we had never put weapons on our boat, that we had prepared for all kinds of dangers at sea, but not dangers from other humans, and um, perhaps in that moment feeling a little foolish, never to even have had a conversation about it, but... When we were um, in the process of trying to do things like hide knives under pillows and lock cabinets so that our cat wouldn't be tortured at, you know, when they boarded and get the um, flare guns perhaps as a deterrent, I was very much aware that um, I – this was not a typical buddhist response to danger i i I was not being passive i was not um i was not uh really feeling all that much love and passion for my fellow man at that moment but you know then i started remembering the story that the buddha once told about um actually a sea pirate who came on a sailing vessel and was lining up everyone that, you know, women and children that he was going to murder to take over the ship. And he removed the weapons from the captain, but the captain was a practicing Buddhist and he kept in his his shoe an extra knife. And when the um, pirate wasn't looking, the captain stepped up behind him and slit his throat. And when the Buddha told that story, the, the people around him said, oh, my goodness, that's, that's violence. That's not what we, we promote. And the Buddha said, no, you know, we don't promote violence. But in the karmic scheme of things, that uh, violent um, pirate was about to take everyone's life. And he was going to bring upon himself a cascade of karma that would take many lifetimes to um, overcome. Now, even though I remembered that story, I was not really feeling all that connected to trying to protect these pirates' karmic future, but I did understand that as people who love life, as people who feel um, that they want to protect what is beautiful, good, and true, we do need to take some extraordinary steps to stop harm. And that is really something that informs my advocacy today in giving me courage as I look at things like um, what's happening with the climate crisis, that it is not okay just to be polite and to be quiet, that we really need to find in our own heart and mind The way that we can express our fierce compassion, and I am deeply committed to nonviolence. I am so impressed. Even in that moment when my husband and I were were facing pirates, we got out of the situation nonviolently through some very creative action that my husband took. So it is possible that we can create great transformation through nonviolence, but we really have to step up to the challenge and be quite fierce in challenging ourselves and those around us to stand up for what we know to be beautiful, good, and true, and to defend and protect what we value.
1: And Heather, that, that takes a real sense of self as well, because if we look at some of the situations like what recently happened in Vegas or different types of shootings and things that take place or different other types of terrorist activities, there's a part of the the fight or flight of the human that goes into the reactionary mode and goes into the full state of fear. Whereas it sounded as if, in your case, it's not that fear wasn't there, but yet there was a groundedness. There was still a sense of, some area of self that had something to fall back on, even if in the immediacy you didn't go right to it. Talk a little bit about how individuals can really cope in those situations to to remember to rely on compassion and the level of fierce compassion that you're stating, which means take care of themselves but also take care of the other.
2: Mm. Well, I use a very ancient practice when I find myself in those kinds of situations, and that is actually it can be a variety of situations but that is the practice of tonglen where i breathe in the fear because i was definitely terrified in that moment and then i breathe out compassion i breathe in whatever that strong emotion is and i breathe out compassion for myself this is hard and and i breathe out compassion for for you know those around me my husband was also frightened i i was breathing compassion from him I was breathing in my fear and breathing compassion for these men, trying to understand what was bringing them to this point of, you know, that this is their best alternative at this time to, to take these steps. And that moment of turning the strong emotion of fear or anger or, you know, hatred or, or jealousy, whatever it is, t- turning that into compassion it takes the energy from something that is negative into something that you can work with. And you can work with compassion. Actually, my teacher Thich Han says that compassion is the only safe emotion. Mm. And I find that to be you know, such a good guiding light for me that if I am not tuned in to a compassionate approach to my advocacy work, then I need to stop otherwise i'm going to be actually helping to contribute to the harm but if i am tuned in to compassion then really what it comes down to is a question of skillful means and what can i do in this moment to be the, to have the most skillful and effective um Result? How can I manifest a a change in this situation that is going to transform it into something that is much more healing and wholesome? And that is absolutely that I think the the challenge of our times that I write in this particular chapter on fierce compassion about you know the Exxon Corporation, because you know we're looking at climate change and some of the history and how we've gotten to this point. And the Exxon Cor- Corporation knew, has known for generations that the burning of fossil fuels is going to create the problem that we are now inheriting. And then they continue to confound the conversation and the information around that fact. And so, to me, this is, in a way, modern-day pirates. And we need to find a way to stop their harm. So, the, the spiritual person is not passive, and when you are in the business of fierce compassion, you are looking at stopping harm. And there will people be people that will, are very unhappy about that. But you need to do it in a way that does not create the violence and does not um, um, add to the turmoil and be as effective as you can. And, you know, I, I'm aware that there are different forms of advocacy, so there are are different expressions some people might say well i can't be on the front line in the legal challenges to some a corporation like exxon well you're right there are people who are in the trenches stopping the harm in that way but there are also people who are creating really good solutions and alternatives to for example fossil fuels and those people are embodying a form of advocacy as well and and that is equally as important so there are different roles for all of us to to step forward and then there are of course people who are just simply saying I can do what I can touch in my life and that means that I'm going to start with changing my own behavior and that is a powerful form of advocacy to have our own life be our message.
1: I think that one of the difficulties that we face in this world right now is we have become a very self-centered society. Narcissism is on the rise. And to a certain extent, we all have a degree of narcissism where we really are focused on ourselves and what's in it for us and what can we do. And that respect, there's a portion in your book under the reflections on time that reminds us to have the perspective of infinity. You write, As an individual, I want to keep my consciousness awake by devoting at least part of my awareness toward the insight of infinity. I want to maintain gratitude and reverence toward my relationships with people and with Earth and to avoid getting swept into things unimportant or inconsequential. I do this because the act of cultivating understanding is climate action. There's really something powerful right there, Heather, and we have just a couple of minutes left in the show now, but to have that perspective of infinity, of the large, of the grand, of the far-reaching, as opposed to just the small and the right now, is as important as focusing in on what can be done now. How do we find the balance and how do we stay with the big vision to allow us to stay in hope to keep going?
2: As spiritual people, I think the invitation is to really challenge ourselves to think beyond our small self by paying attention to all of the ways that we're connected with the whole of life, with each other, with the natural world. And the insight of infinity to me is about… not only what's happening in this present, but also what's happened throughout time, that we see how hard our ancestors have worked and devoted themselves for our own success here today, and that we see that there are future generations that we want to support, that we want to thrive. So the insight of infinity is to see our, our life set in the connection with all that is alive here and now, and that is also the history of time. And that, I think that insight, when we have that, we begin to change our behavior quite naturally, that we see ourselves as part of a continuum and as a part of a, a family and and that we want to, um, we're inspired to um, take care of others. So yes, it's about being skillful and taking care of now, but it is also about being awake to who we really are as part of this great river that's flowing throughout space and time.
1: Heather Lynn Mann finishes out the book Ocean of Insight with reflections on the beginner's mind. When we practice beginner's mind, we consciously stop leaping ahead to thoughts of an idealized, unrealistic future or images of our own demise based on memories of humankind's worst moments in history. Similarly, we open to fresh possibilities when we set aside our preconceived notions about politics and business. We let go of these things because beginner's mind is first and foremost about our direct experience. And this is shaped by, and this includes time in the outdoors, our own reading and exploration of scientific discoveries, calm conversation with others equally determined to protect life, and an ecological mindfulness practice on and off the cushion to cultivate inner knowing and insight Beginner's mind will naturally lead us to reflect upon our own daily actions and personal lifestyle choices. It may also inspire us to join with others in larger nonviolent actions aimed at environmental conscious raising and societal transformation. This moment is unlike any that has come before in human history or will come again. When we know this, every action we take in daily living becomes a strategic choice to protect ourselves and the earth. Connect with Heather Lynn Mann at her website, HeatherLynnMann.com. Pick up her book, Ocean of Insight, A Sailor's Voyage from Despair to Hope, and become active in your own way to support our climate and to support our earth. My guest next week will be Andrea Matthews with her new book. Until then, in love, of love, with love, and as love, I am Simran. Be well.